My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at Conduit. Our other pastor, Cameron, he is on sabbatical right now. He's been on sabbatical for maybe maybe a month and a half. Uh, he'll be coming back in the middle of October. Um, but I'm here, and it's my honor this morning to get to tell you, get to welcome you home to Conduit. And I'm glad that each and every single one of you are here. We believe that no one is here on accident. I don't believe that our God is a God of accidents. I think he's a God of intention, of a purpose. And I don't think anyone walks through this door, whether that's once or twice or a hundred times, without a purpose. And my prayer has always been, and will continue to be, that no matter where you're at and where you find yourself, that today you would come here and that God would meet with you wherever it is you find yourself on that journey of faith. If you've been walking with the Lord for a long time or a very short amount of time, or you're not even sure what I mean when I say walking with the Lord, you're like, what is this weird Christian guy saying? Wherever you find yourself at in that spectrum, that you would come here and that you would find God and that you would find the loving people who are ready to walk with you and to be with you. That is my hope. And Conduit, we've been doing a class, we offer a class, call it a class, but it's not really like a class, it's not like a teaching class so much, but it's an opportunity for people who have maybe been here a little while but feel like they haven't been a part of this, or they just want to get to know a little bit more about Conduit, or you're really new and you're just like, you know, I want to take the next step into Conduit, into community, and that is a class that we call Front Door. And this is a class that we offer a couple times a year. And the opportunity is, is to get to know other people here who are also newer to Conduit, who are wanting to get to know other people. It's like taking everyone who wants to get to know more people and sticking them in the room. It's a good place to make friends. It's really informal. We get some food, some breakfast food. And we meet uh, before service here on Sunday mornings, we meet at 9 o'clock, and we meet from about 9 o'clock to 9.45, and it's an opportunity for us to talk about who Conduit is, like what this crazy thing is that we call church, and what are the things that like we want to know about each other, and how to kind of get connected. So we do that for, it's a five-week class, and that's going to be starting September 25th, and will run through October 23rd. So that will start later this month. If you are interested in that, there's uh, two ways you can sign up. Uh, first way, you can just come up to me and tell me, um, and I'll make sure to get your email and stuff. But you can also uh, sign up through our Church Center app. If you have the Church Center app downloaded through your app store, you just search that, connect it to Conduit, there's a sign ups button, and you'll see front door. You sign up that way, and we'll get you on the list, and we'll make sure we're ready for you. We also will have childcare. So if you have little ones who maybe who are going to be coming with you that morning, you know, we're going to have somebody who can watch them for you and so that you can participate in that. That is all that I have for announcements this morning and things that are going on in the life of our church. And so we're going to dive into our sermon series for this morning. We're going to keep on going through this. Um, but before doing that, I just want to, again, pause, slow myself, and just invite God to be front and center. Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that you would be clearly glorified and magnified. Lord, that you would help me to speak the gospel. And Lord, that you would be active and present among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have been going through a sermon series this past couple of weeks called Misquoted. And the whole idea of this sermon series was to talk about some common like phrases or verses that maybe get quoted often, but are maybe often misunderstood. And kind of wanting to kind of address that. And my desire for this sermon series has kind of been twofold. It, it, first is for us to grow. Like, that's my biggest thing, right? I want us 
to grow in our understanding of the Bible, how to understand the Bible, and to grow a love and a desire and a concern for the Bible. And so, really, I hope that it has been towards that end, that it has been encouraging, that these passages and ideas and topics we've been talking about have not been kind of diminishing anything in a way, but rather expanding our understanding of these concepts and of the Bible. And so with that, I've kind of been talking about, we've kind of got like, had two different ways to kind of approach this, right? There are a fair amount of quotes that happen that we kind of often say, sayings, um, that we think maybe they're in the Bible or they're somewhere, I just have never found them. Um, that just actually aren't in there. And then there are passages that often get quoted that are, yes, genuinely in the Bible, but we maybe misunderstand them or we oversimplify them. And so I've started each sermon out with just talking about sort of three kind of phrases or sermon or verses that we think are in the Bible, but actually aren't. Um, so this week, the one I, ones I chose to talk about was uh, the first one's called God Works in Mysterious Ways, right? You've all heard that? Well, it's, you know, and it's, it's not in the Bible. It's not. Like, if you look for it, you won't find those exact words. Um, that was actually written by William Cowper, um, who was a hymn writer. And it's the opening, song, opening line to a hymn that he wrote. And, you know, I can't give this phrase too much of a hard time because I do think that there, God is most certainly mysterious. We most certainly do not understand things. There are Bible passages that talk about God's ways being higher than our ways, not knowing or comprehending um, comprehending the mind of God or knowing who he is and what he's up to. And so um, as much as you know, this is not technically a Bible verse, this gets a, it's a thumbs up from me, because um, it, it, it definitely carries some biblical truth with it. Um, the next one I wanted to talk about, this one, this next one's kind of, this is complicated. Um, this one, next one is called Spare the Rod and Spoil the Child. Oh, yeah, I heard that. So somebody's like, you're like, well, Luke, like, isn't that in the Bible? Mm, not that particular phrase, actually. I was doing a little bit of research on this because I was curious about it. And that particular phrase... Spoil, spare the rod, spoil the child, as it is said exactly like that, is actually from a poem that's a little bit over a hundred years old that was written by a guy who was making fun of Christians. And it's actually, I read like the stanza that it was in, and it's kind of in old English. If I understood it correctly, he was making a sex joke. Um, so when we continue to use that particular phrase, unknowingly we are somewhat participating in the butt of a joke. Um, but you're like, but Luke, like, isn't that in the Bible, though? I swear I've seen that. And what you're actually talking about is we're talking about Proverbs 13, 24, um, which is in wisdom literature. And so one of the things about reading the Bible and understanding the Bible is that we often have to understand what's the, what's the genre at play. Wisdom literature is poetry literature. So it's using images, it's using phrases in order to communicate a clear meaning uh, in a short and condensed way. Right? And so if we were to take everything we saw in po poetry as very literal... Right? That's a very quick way to begin to not understand poetry. Right? So when we come to the Proverbs, when we come to the Psalms, what we find is poetic imagery that is conveying a principle or a truth using images that not necessarily mean to be taken completely 100% literally. Now, the actual passage itself reads, Whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, I'm not going to give my personal opinion about whether or not you should spank a kid. That's, I'm not up here to give my opinion on that. I will, however, take a moment to talk about this passage 
and to say clearly what it does not say and what it does say, just because I do think it is an important thing to perhaps talk about. The first thing is that this passage by no means indicates that Christians have to spank or use physical discipline in disciplining their children. It's not a mandate to. I do not think that this passage means that you must use physical punishment in raising a child. That, I think, is an overstatement of this passage. Second is that this passage gives absolutely zero space for causing harm to a child, right? The point of this passage is the well-being of a child, right? It's saying that you want them to grow up well, right? And so it's talking about whoever loves their child is careful to discipline them, right? And so it's supposed to be in the context of love. That's the last thing, is that it also gives zero space for discipline that comes out of fury, out of anger, resentment, frustration, revenge, Those are things that are not meant to be in the context of expressing loving discipline and care for a child, right? It's supposed to be inside of the context of love, no matter how discipline is expressed, whether that's physically or not. And so what this passage indicates, and the reason I'm, like, I'll just be honest, the reason I'm talking about this passage and kind of taking a little bit more time to kind of nuance it is in one part is because I have seen this passage often quoted by people who are justifying behavior that was inappropriate. And that makes me angry. right? And it makes me angry because I am not okay with people taking the word of God and using it to justify um, hurtful and harmful behavior. So I want to clearly state that while... Whether or not you decide to incorporate physical punishment in how you discipline a child, I want it to make it abundantly clear that that is um, to be guarded by love inside of the context of love, right? And so, again, this isn't, I've not actually expressed my personal opinion on this. I've just simply said what I feel like this passage says and what it doesn't say. And And I truly want to take a moment and just simply to say that, like, Here at Conduit, I would say that every single one of us who are on staff strive to be a safe person for everyone in this church. So whether, if you ever find yourself in a situation of violence or harm or abuse of any kind, whether that um, be domestic or otherwise, we would hope that you would find us here at Conduit a safe place to come and get help. Um, So things have gotten pretty heavy without me ending my intro. (laughs) But it's worth talking about. It's worth taking a moment to pause and to address this explicitly. Like, we might just say, well, like, oh, of course, Luke. But, well, we need to talk about it, right? And so, and it's worth taking the time. And now that, that last phraseology, spare the rod, spoil the child, is kind of... Like, like, I hope that you see that it's somewhat nuanced, right? It's not perhaps as simple as a pithy quote would perhaps lead us to think it is, right? There, there is nuance inside of that in how you choose to apply that and how we understand that passage together as a people. And, and, and I, I, I mentioned that in order to kind of preface the fact that this verse, the passage we're going to focus our primary attention on today, uh, requires a similar amount of nuance. It's a passage that we have both misunderstood and not applied. It's kind of a strange thing. When we quote this verse, we have misunderstood it, but most of us have not listened to it well enough to actually apply it to our lives correctly either. This is uh, a passage that has been so ingrained into popular culture, into our understanding, that most people actually still quote it in Old English, quote it from like the KJV when we say it, because it just kind of carries that kind of weight. And then it's also, it's the passage that I think of as being most used whenever convenient. It's, It's a verse that we pull out 
and when it's convenient, but we conveniently forget it when it benefits us. And so the passage I'm talking about is Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And in the old English, this would say, you know, um, judge not lest ye be judged, right? Like it's the, it is the ultimate back off verse, right? It's how I kind of think about it. Um, and it's the ultimate verse in which tells us to, oh no, you're fine, thank you though, I am like dying up here. Um, <laughs> it's the verse in which we use to kind of say like, hey, like, you can't judge me, can't get up in here, like, I'm not, I'm not bugging you, leave me alone, right? Like, that's the kind of verse, but like the moment it begins... The moment we enter into something that we're like, well, no, like, I, I, you can't do that. We conveniently forget the verse, right? And, and if we were to take this verse at absolute face value, you're not allowed to judge anyone, well, then how does our justice system work, right? And actually, the whole previous point that I made about spare the rod, spoil the child, and all of that requires making judgment. Right? It requires saying that there is appropriate behavior that is acceptable or within some bounds, and then there is behavior which is absolutely not acceptable. Right? And so we cannot take this passage to mean that there is zero judgment ever allowed by any individual towards another individual. Right? So what does it mean if we were to actually think about this in... Context, where is that line? If it cannot mean the absolute, well, then where does it start and stop? And is that just up to convenience or how I feel that particular day, where that line is? Or does the Bible give us any context for that? So, and I think it does. Um, And so we're going to dive into the passage using the same Bible study tools that we've been using uh, each week here. We've been talking about We have to look at a passage, we have to look at its context, we have to look at the content of the passage, we need to compare the passage to other scriptures, and then we need to apply the passage to our own selves and how that works. So we're going to dive into, first, that context. And the funny thing, I was talking with a friend earlier this week, and he reminded me of a quote that... I have to now quote. Um, He said that a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. It's a tongue twister, right? Like a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. Like try saying that like fast, right? But the whole concept there is that if we take a text, we take a verse and we pluck it out and we remove it from all context, We can often make it say things that it doesn't actually mean and use it as a proof text. And one of the things, like as we've been doing this, the thing that has kind of struck me each week as we dove into these passages is that often if we simply were just to read the verses that came before and after the passage, we would see like, oh, actually like our immediate understanding of the passage is a little bit simplistic. Because the very next verse begins to give some nuance or some extra added meaning that perhaps we were overlooking prior. And so with context, we start big and then we get small, right? So we're in the New Testament in Matthew. So uh, Matthew is one of the four Gospels. So those are the books of the Bible right at the beginning of the New Testament that talk about the story of Jesus. So Jesus is in, in here. This is probably a teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. If we flip back a couple chapters and we look at like, um, I think it starts in chapter 5 here. Yes, in chapter 5 is the beginning. Um, A lot of your Bibles should have this labeled as the Sermon on the Mount, right? So this is Jesus's, this is in the middle or towards the end of Jesus's most famous teaching ever. This is a significant portion of scripture that is quoted way more often than just about any other section. This is where Jesus gives his, like, his, like, thesis on what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. 
And he's coming in and he's speaking to the culture and he's saying, you guys think that following God looks this way and I'm going to turn it upside down and show you how you've got it wrong. And he is doing that over and over again. If we were to read the chapter that comes right before chapter 7, we would see that this passage mentions hypocrites three separate times by name. Actually, significant portions of the teachings are all addressed towards hypocrites. If we look at chapter 6, verse 5, it says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Right? And then he goes in to give his teaching on the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer. So like his teachings are being taught in this context of saying, I am addressing those of you who act as if you are holy and better than others when in fact you're not, right? That's the context in which he's addressing that. He's over and over again calling out hypocritical religious people who are living in such a way that is judging others but is not in congruity with who they actually are, how they actually behave behind closed doors. They have the appearance of religion or the appearance of holiness without the heart or the substance of it. And so that gives us the context for what we're going to read here in chapter, in chapter 7, verse 1. So now let's look at the content, now that we've got the con- context. It's a lot of con words. Um, the content, and let's read the passage in the rest of its context and see if we can get a little bit more clarity over what this passage says. So I'm going to read chapter 7, verse, starting in verse 1. says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judged others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay. So, a couple questions kind of come as we read this passage. The first is, is what does Jesus mean when he says judge? Like, what, what does that mean? Does is it just simply mean, like, is it like a Simon Cow judge, like on American Idol? Like, like, what does it mean? Like, is it just like a, like opinion? Or is it something more than that? Right? And the, and the, we, we kind of get a clue. Because it says the reason it gives for not judging. It says you shouldn't judge others. Why? For in the same way that you judge others, it will be judged, you will be judged. Right? So it's talking about God judging you with the same standard on which you judge others. So, well, under what context is God judging us? Well, in eternity. Right? The big grand scheme of things. Right? And so what we get here is, okay, judging is more than just having an opinion. It's, it's really kind of weighty here, right? It's, it's just, it's, it's coming in and making a, perhaps a thought of saying like, well, that person doesn't follow the Lord. That person can't be a Christian. Oh, well, this person, like, is deserving of this judgment by God, right? That's... That's some pretty bold stuff. I I wouldn't do that if I were you, right? Um, I think, this is my opinion, I think we will be abundantly surprised by the expansiveness of God's grace. But here we come, and so I think that this gives us a context to say, okay, judging seems to be this kind of like, this really making a judgment, right? Really harsh really in kind of an absolute kind of way. I think that gives us a little bit of context, but I do think that there's still, it doesn't completely erase the passage for us. Like, because I do think that there is this, what comes next, right? So it's not, like, the sermon's not over just because I said, 
well, just don't make any absolute judgments about anybody and they're good. Like, that's not quite, I think that like, points us in a direction. But that's not the rest of the passage because it does have this kind of going back and forth, this like picture and imagery of the speck and the plank. Now this, this is like probably Jesus' most famous sermon illustration ever, right? And like the thing is about familiarity is we begin to not see it as clearly as we once did. And I was thinking about this week and I was like, you ever like just thought about the scale that he's talking about? Like, like so this little plastic baggie, do you see the sawdust in here? No. That's how small sawdust is, it is, right? I went down this morning into um, a church closet, which you never know what you're going to find in a church closet. Um, I found sawdust. <laughs> and so I put some sawdust in here. There's, there, there are actually multiple specks of sawdust in here. I, I can kind of see them, but you can't, right? That's how small a speck of sawdust is. And then this is something approximating a plank. <laughs> Right? Like, like, look at the size of this. <laughs> right? Like, and, and, and my wager is, I'm like trying not to knock something over, um, is that this is actually maybe smaller than what Jesus meant. Like, like, like a log, like a plank. Like if you've ever, like it's probably something closer to that beam that goes across our church there in the back. Like, like it's a humorous and ridiculous metaphor. Right, because he's talking about somebody who's literally got this going on, right? And they're going around and they're saying, "Hey, let me let me get that speck," right? Like that's how ridiculous it is. Jesus is trying to make this point. He's saying, "Look, stop focusing on the speck and pay attention to the log." That is blinding you. That is how ridiculous it is when we begin to hyperfixate on others and we begin to forget to watch our own lives. Right? That's just a... There we go. Right? There's, there's the comparison. So, so uh, that's what Jesus is getting at. We've heard this so often that sometimes we forget... How extreme of a metaphor he's making. He's like, how foolish, how silly, how stupid to have a log in your eye obstructing your view. And yet you presume to reach into your own brother or sister's life and say, let me, let me get that speck. You really, you really should fix that speck, you know. Like everyone can see it. Like it's not, it's not very good for you to have that speck. Right? All the while... Blind to my own self, to my own failings. This is a truth that I have seen seen over and over again. I, I like it's like it is uncanny how much this is true. Um, and it is this: it is that your harshest judgments are mirrors to your own weaknesses. Right? I, I cannot tell you how many times this has been true. Your harshest judgments are mirrors to your own weaknesses. I was, I was at Bible college, and there was this guy. I didn't know him particularly well, but everybody knew of him because he was the guy who would get on social media, who would get on the internet, and he would call out other students for not living the way that he thought they should. So he would publicly shame people on social media because they're not behaving in a way that he deemed appropriate. Right? And even, you know, and so he was, he was definitely someone that everyone knew about. Well, come to know the guy just a little bit, you'd find out that actually his life was a bit of a mess. That actually he had some really significant sin issues he was dealing with that he felt a significant amount of shame and guilt with. And so his own behavior and treatment of others was really coming out of a place of internal shame and judgment on himself. 
Now, that's not the only example. I'll give another example. I was also, again, still at Bible college. I was a freshman at this point, and I was serving in a ministry with another individual. We were serving together, and man, this guy just graded on me. Like, just irked me. Um, just, like, he is just so arrogant. He is so prideful. He thinks he knows everything. He thinks he's just the best. Like, he doesn't think he has anything to learn. Like, he is just, like, ugh, he's just not any good. Like, he should just be kicked out of this ministry. Like, I would complain to, to anyone who would listen. It was just so frustrating to have to work with this guy. He's so puffed up, so arrogant. And then one of my friends pointed out, Luke, why do you, why do you dislike this guy so much? Like, what has he actually done to you? And then I had to own up to the fact that all of those things that I was saying about him were true about myself. That actually, I was just frustrated that he was taking up as much space as he was in the ministry. And that, actually, I wanted that space for myself. That's that's an honest confession from a younger Luke. It is. I, I, I was harshly judging this person and talking about this person behind their back in a very unkind way. And I had a friend who called me on the carpet for it. It was like, Luke, this isn't good. The way you are behaving is you are acting like a man with a log in his face and calling out another man's speck. Whether or not my assessment of that individual was true is beside the point. The fact was is that I myself was prideful, was unloving, unkind, uncharitable, and would rather have all the attention on myself than share it. Right? Again and again, when I encounter in myself or someone else a significant spirit of angry judgment, it is almost always true that there is something and the root of that that comes from inside of them rather than externally. Your harshest judgments are mirrors to your own weaknesses. So, as we look at this passage we begin to get this clear idea that Jesus is addressing, remember seeing that key word, hypocrites? Jesus is calling out judgment being done in such a way by people who are living duplicitous lives, who are not themselves even willing to submit to equal or same scrutiny as they're submitting other people to. Right? But Jesus does. He does at the end of that statement. He does say, once you have removed the plank, then you can clearly see to remove the speck. So it's not that the speck doesn't get any addressment at all. So, so what we see here is maybe, maybe Jesus doesn't mean that there is, again, zero judgment. So, but, it, but we haven't quite clarified for ourselves where's that line, Right? Is it just because, oh, well, that's not a problem I deal with, so then I can be really harsh about it? No, I don't think that's true either. So let's continue to dive in and bring more clarity around what Jesus' teachings mean on judging uh, by comparing to other texts. Look at what the rest of the Bible says about these things. See if that begins to bring clarity. So I want to move forward to another gospel. We're still in the teaching of Jesus. Going to look at John. Going to turn forward to John chapter 7. Now this is still, again, like I said, another teaching of Jesus. John chapter 7. Going to be in verse 24. And Jesus is at a festival. And at this point, Jesus is getting a lot of attention from the religious leaders. He healed someone on the Sabbath, right? So he, there was someone who was sick, an ailment, and Jesus restored them and healed them, and everybody was really mad. Why, why are they mad that he healed the guy? Because it's the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. 
right? So they're mad that Jesus did an objectively good thing that alleviated someone's suffering on a day in which you're not supposed to work, right? And so Jesus is kind of having this conversation back and forth, and in, cha- in chapter 7, verse 24, he says this. He says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Right? He's, he's, he's saying, he's like, look, stop judging according to what makes you comfortable or according to appearances, but judge correctly. Right? We judge by appearances. I guarantee you we do. Right? We could talk a long time about how we judge by appearances. How we immediately size someone up. How we immediately begin to make, oh, this person, like, the way that they appear, the way that they look, they cannot be a Jesus follower. Oh, they certainly don't, like, really know Jesus. Right? All because of just how they appear to us. Or perhaps, you know, this person, you know, doesn't behave in exactly the same way as I would in that situation. And really, they ought to be doing things this way. And my way is not just different, it's best. And their way is wrong. Right? We begin to... We need to take the priority that God has and make it our priority. God, over and over again, throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New, makes his priority the heart of a person, not the appearance of a person. Right? God talks about, in the Old Testament, multiple times, he says, I do not delight in sacrifices, but I delight in true worship from the heart, from contrite worship doesn't matter if you do all of the religious practices just right if your heart is far from me, right? So I could, you know, we could look the part, could look like a good churchgoer, but if our heart is sick, that's what we're actually supposed to be prioritizing here, not the outward appearance. If we flip forward a couple more books, we're going to go to the book of Romans. The book of Romans is now, we're not in the Gospels anymore, but we're dealing with Paul. We're going to look to Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And this is Paul, again, he's taking the teachings of Jesus. You'll see so much similarity in what he says here and what Jesus said in chapter 7 of Matthew. Here, Paul says this in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you... A mere human being pass judgment on them and yet do the same things. Do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show yourself, show contempt for the riches of his kindness, of his forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? We do this really odd thing. We tend to, for some reason, destroy the ladder that got us to where we are. Right? If it was God's grace and kindness and patience and forbearance and gentleness and compassion is the thing that led us to know him in the first place, why would we try and remove those things from other people's experience of him in order, like, like, that doesn't help them, right? If that's what helped us get to know Christ and to be where we are now, why would we then remove those things for others, right? Paul is calling us to do an intense reflection on our own lives. He says, look, like, are you so sure 
that your life doesn't have any similarity with those who you judge so harshly? Or is it a lot more similar than you're comfortable admitting? Have you recently reflected on how patient God has been with you? Let that begin to shape how we treat and understand one another. Now, we'll turn forward to another passage. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You can see that like, I'm, I'm really pulling out a lot of passages here because this is a concept of nuance. It is not so simple as never judge anyone or you get to judge everyone. There is this, we're trying to, again, create a clarity inside of ourselves of what the Bible teaches about how we are to love and treat others. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look at chapter 5, start in verse 12. Again, this is Paul, and he's addressing the behaviors that are going on inside of the church. And there's some significant stuff that's going on. Uh, one, one, one particular individu- individual is having sexual relationships with his, uh, with his father's wife. So either his mother or his mother-in-law. So here we come to verse 12, and Paul says, What business is it of mine to judge the outside, those who are outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. So Paul's making this thing. He's like, look, like you guys have got it backwards. You're making judgments about people who are outside the church and refusing to make judgments about those who are clearly doing something wrong inside of the church. Think about it in kind of terms of like family rules, right? Every household has rules that we kind of abide by, right? Are we a family that kicks the shoes off when we come into the house, right? That's a family rule, right? Someone comes over and they're wearing shoes around in your house. Do you get all up in arms and say, you're not supposed to wear your shoes in the house? Well, they didn't know that, right? Um, You know, I was thinking about this and, you know, like, what, what are the family rules I had growing up? You know, five boys in a large house, um, like just causing sheer destruction. Um, well, you know, I was thinking, I was like, you know, like my house was like a house where we like, we roughhoused, like dad would come home from work and we'd like wrestle and like we'd play rough and we'd have fun and we'd kind of dig into all of these things. And, and it was kind of a playful household, right? Um, and I remember like it was, it was well understood inside of my house that like, it was appropriate to teasingly call someone a stinker butt. <laughs> my dad was, oh, come here, you little stinker butt. You know, like that was, that was playful inside of my household, right? Now, it's funny, like, what sticks in your brain? Um, so I, I, I was in kindergarten, and I was, at, I was at school, and I think we were playing some sort of board game or something. With, like, I was playing with, like, a classmate, a little girl. And she beat me, and I was like, oh, you stinker butt. Which made her break out in tears, right? She's just like, you call me what? And she's, you know, right? She's just like running to the teacher, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, I, I, that's nothing. Like, <laughs> you know, like, and the teacher's like, Luke, what did you call her? I said, I just called her a stinker butt. Like, you know, and it, to me, it was, a, it was a moment where my house rules we're not making sense with the rest of the world. Some of you are still awed and shocked that I said stinker butt in church. Um, um, so, right, what Paul is talking here, the point remains abundantly clear, right? How much energy do we expend trying to get people to operate according to the rules of the family of God before they're even part of the family of God, right? Paul is calling us to love the world radically and for us to also love one another radically as well. For us to understand that we come here and we are agreed upon, right? We work through what the Bible means and what that means for our lives, And then we live in community and we try and figure out what that means together. 
but trying to hold someone else who doesn't even know what they think about Jesus yet up to certain standards is not loving. And and here at Conduit, like I'm under, I make the assumption every single Sunday when I'm up here that not everyone here is following Jesus yet. Right? And if you're in that place, you're in a place of like exploring what faith means, you're not sure. Maybe you've been in church before and you feel like you were run off because you weren't following the family rules. I want this to be a place that is different than that. That is my heart. We are trying our best to be that and to do that. It is a safe place to come and belong, to know others, to experience love and community, and to explore faith. That is what we're about here at Conduit at the core. Because we believe it's all about Jesus and the good news of Jesus changes everything. And we believe that we often need a place where we can come and explore that, where we can come and know that without having it all together yet. Are we allowed to be a people of in process? Or do we have to be a people who have logs in our faces but just don't talk about them? Right? We don't, we're not interested in just appearing like a church. We're interested in being a church. We're interested in loving one another and being a place where we can grow closer to Christ. In my last passage, last passage I want to talk about is Galatians 6. So if we turn again a little bit farther forward in our Bible in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 6. This passage here, Again, right, because we've, we've talked about, like, there are clear instances in which it is probably best to, to not judge, right? But there have been continued this in, encouragement for us to exercise judgment. Here in Galatians 6, 6 chapter 1, we see how that judgment is to be exercised. Again, in verse 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, talking to people who are followers of Jesus inside the church, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Did you hear that? Restore gently. But watch yourselves. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. It's biblical. (laughs) But seriously, that's what it says. Watch yourself. Look out. Be aware. Right? Or you also will be tempted. Right? Don't begin to think because... You're helping someone else out, that you've got it all together, that you're never going to mess up, that you're not in need of the same compassion and tender love that that person is in need of. So when we approach someone in the context of relationship and community here, right? And a great example is what my friend did for me when I was at Bible college. And he said, Luke, like... Like, I hear that this guy's like really annoying you, but like, why? Have you thought about what that says about your own heart condition? It was a guy I had deep relationship with who was not coming at me angry, who wasn't yelling at me. He just simply came and like nudged me. He was just like, Luke, like, listen to yourself. Listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Do they sound like something Christ would say? Gently restore one another in kindness. So as we've, we've, we've covered a lot, right? Talked a lot about the different texts. We kind of see that, it's, that this passage 
judge not lest ye be judged is not exactly the clear standoff, back off passage that maybe we understand it to say. But we do also see that we've also failed to actually apply what it actually means. We've both misunderstood and failed to hear it correctly. So how do we begin to apply these things to ourselves? I have three thoughts that I think begin to condense these principles down for us. First one is to be be aware of accusing others and excusing yourself. Right? That is our default. Right? It is easy to see what others don't see and to miss what is in our own lives. We need to be aware of the fact that our proclivity will be to accuse others and to excuse ourselves. Well, right, like how many times, hey, Luke, like you really kind of lost your temper there. Um, but like, and, and, and what I would say, well, well, you just don't know how hard of a day I had. You just don't know what led up to that. Like, like I get indignant, right? Cross my arms like this. Shut my head up out, right? And I began to justify myself. I say, like, you don't understand the pressure I'm under, right? Like, and you don't understand what I was really mad about. Like, if you had gone through the day I had gone through, you would have gotten angry too. You would have lashed out in an unkind way too, right? We immediately begin to excuse our own behavior when... Right? We often would accuse and not even give anyone even close to the same amount of grace that we would give ourselves. Beware of accusing others or excusing yourself. Right? That is the, the judge, like the words that Christ says, it bears repeating going back to Matthew 7. Judge not harshly. Because for the weight with which you judge will be the judgment that God also uses. There, that statement exists. I cannot unsay it because it's in the Bible. It means what it sounds like it means. That on some level, God is paying attention to how we treat others. And that will affect how he treats us. Question is, is where do we spend more, what do we spend more times on, right? Do we spend more time on accusing or judging or thinking about others or, gosh, they, this person really just needs to fix this in their life? Do we spend a lot of time on that? And how much time do we spend on ourselves of inviting community, saying, hey, like, you see me once a week for a couple hours, a week at least. Is there anything that, like, I'm oblivious to? Ask your spouse that. I bet they can answer it. Right? Ask your kids. Right? Bet you they got an answer too. And how much do we actually receive that and then seek to humbly and lovingly listen to that and apply that? The next principle I would say is that judging and controlling others is a recipe for misery. Now, I will say that this particular point isn't explicitly said in any of the texts that I covered, but I will argue tooth and nail that this is true, right? You want to be miserable? Focus your life on judging and controlling other people's behaviors, right? Because guess what? You can't, right? You are attempting to do a thing that you simply cannot do, you will not be able to accomplish that. If you want to live an anxious life, focus on other people and not yourself. You want to be miserable and angry, focus on other people and not yourself. Every Monday night here at Conduit, we have Celebrate Recovery. It's a 12-step recovery group that focuses on working through our problems. And one of the points of that group is we say it's a selfish group, right? And by that, we mean you are here for yourself, not for anyone else. If someone begins to talk about, oh, you know, this other person in my life, are they here? No, you're here. We are here, 
I'm here. Let's deal with ourselves first. Trust, we need to practice releasing other people to the trust and goodness of God. Right? So often we are so convinced that we understand and see other people correctly. When really what we need to be doing is, if anything, we need to be giving them to God and trusting God to deal with them. Right? I need to say, you know what? That is their choice. That is their behavior. And God will deal with them. Right? I think we need to do that a whole lot more than we do. And then the last thing that I would say is this. Dramatic pause. the last thing is that we need to practice the gospel with everyone. What do I mean by that? Practice the gospel with everyone. This This is how we actually exercise judgment and care with one another in community, is we practice the gospel. And that means no matter where someone is at in their faith journey, the answer remains Jesus. The answer remains, come taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and see that his burden is light, that he is lowly, that God will not break the reed, that he, will, that, that he is compassionate, that he comes alongside, that he has grace and mercy abounding. When we invite someone and we say, come and know the Lord, it's not come and do things the way I want you to do them. It's come and taste and see that God is good and that God's plan for your life is good and that even though you don't understand it, it's good for you, that ultimately your human flourishing sits underneath him. Taste and see that it's good. Don't just take my word for it. Know the Lord in relationship and see what happens. When we come to one another and we say, brother, sister, your life, there is something that you do not see and it is causing you harm and is causing others harm and I need to point it out to you. The answer remains the same. Grace and love and acceptance and forgiveness is found in Christ Jesus. You, we, I, I don't have to beat you over the head with it because the Spirit will convict. I have merely just brought it to your attention. Let the Lord bring conviction. Perhaps, right, like I'm not interested in kicking you out I'm interested in restoring you gently. That's how we do this. We practice the gospel in every single situation. The answer remains the same. The answer is is that you and I, every single person in this room, is broken. I am broken. I do not do things perfect. Daily, I am in need of God's patience and grace and forgiveness. I come to you as a person not who's got it all together, just as a person who's, who's trying their best to open this book for you. I don't come as a perfect person. I'm not. If you think one of us, Cameron or me, is the perfect pastor, I'm sorry you're wrong. Maybe the next church. <laughs> like, right? and, I, and you know I mean that. You know that like, there, isn't, there isn't a perfect church. There isn't a perfect pastor. There isn't. like All of us sit on equal ground here. And we are all in need of grace. And I think often we need to stop and we perhaps need to just reflect a little bit on the sheer amount of patience that God has exercised for you and me, 
the sheer amount of forbearance that he's exercised, and the fact that all of the growth in my life has not come from someone yelling at me, but has come from someone coming up beside me and saying, God loves you. God has grace for you. Come and explore what it means to grow in Christ. That means it's going to be hard. I'm not saying that we get to just do whatever. right? That's not what this sermon's about. There's things that we need to, to grow up into as children of God. But we don't do so under a harsh hand. We do so together and under love and grace. And that's where we as a community flourish. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as children. Lord, help us to understand your heart towards us as our Father. God, that is not easy for all of us. It is not easy for us to understand how you are a loving Father. God, that might be really difficult to hear or to say for some of us. Lord, I ask that your spirit would communicate just a glimpse of what your Father's heart is for us. Lord, I pray that this morning, I pray that this morning would be a wake-up call for us, that you would help us to stop accusing others and stop driving others away but help us to begin to use the invitation come taste and see that the Lord is good Lord help us help us to love one another but not just a cheap love Lord not just cheap community but true love. Love that's willing to be risky and to say, you know, your life isn't quite lining up with what you're saying. You know, perhaps the Lord is calling you to obedience here. Lord, give us hearts that are humble enough to do that well and to receive that well. And Lord, give us hearts and eyes that see others as you see them. Lord, we repent of being a people that tend to be like hypocrites. People who are quick to make judgment on others and quick to excuse ourselves. Lord, I ask that you would forgive us for not practicing the gospel, for removing the very grace on which we came to you from others. Lord, this tension of this passage, I feel it is heavy. It feels difficult to know how to best do these things together. Lord, I pray that your spirit would guide us. That your Holy Spirit would bring about love and truth and growth in our community in a way that only you can do. Lord, help us to trust one another to God, to you. Help us to release our pretend control over others and to submit each other to you. Lord, I pray that you would, in each of our hearts, renew our understanding and compassion and excitement and rejoicing and love for the gospel, that we would know Christ, that we would know him crucified and resurrected in life, that we would know what that means for you and me.
Lord, I ask that you would do in this church the things that only you can do. Lord, this is your church. We are your people. God, let this be let us let this be a moment of a greater surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Conduit, I know that I pray that you would know that truth, that God is so good, that God loves you, and that God and the gospel is is what we need each and every single day. Conduit, as you go forth, I pray that you would know that you do not go alone, but you go with the Spirit of God this week. Conduit, you are loved. Go in peace.